podcast we've talked about this too this idea of like as soon as we want to you know make a point about something with kids it's like oh well this is not good for the kids and and that's the sticking point right because as soon as you put the kids in there then we can't we can't say anything about it. it's the kids we're, we're protecting the kids but i do think it's important to really dive in and say is this toxic for kids or not yeah is yeah. this healthy for kids or not and is that coming from our place of ignorance or discomfort or is that truly coming from something that is not good for children you know welcome to the relational parenting podcast i'm jennifer hayes a parent coach and 20-year child care veteran Each week, I sit down with my own father, Rick Hayes, and discuss the complicated issues that parents face today, as well as some of the oldest questions in the book. From the latest research and the framework of my relational parenting method, we offer thought-provoking solutions to your deepest parenting struggles. Added bonuses include intergenerational wounding discussions and guest childcare experts. We will also start taking your parenting questions in episode five. So be sure to comment with your biggest questions or email me directly at Jenny at JennyB.co. Let's get started. Veronique, also known as V, is the founder and lead educator at Ampersand Workspace. She works in race and gender, giving organizations, groups, and companies the tools to enact anti-racist and gender-inclusive values within their organizations to create a productive, inclusive culture. Veronique shapes mindsets, builds skills, and creates lasting impact through Heritage Month and Identity Holiday Workshops, targeted trainings, and consulting. Her business prompted V to retire from childcare, where she spent more than 20 years as a caregiver of all sorts, alongside other professional endeavors. Veronique is still very invested in the lives of all her littles around the world, and she loves them all dearly, especially since she gets to give them back to their parents. Hit record and it starts. All right, record, record, record. We are on. Um, Welcome back, guys, to the Relational Parenting Podcast. Hey there. And welcome back to chapter two with V. (laughs) Yes, chapter two with V. Very grateful to be back. (laughs) We are excited to have you back. Welcome. Um, We so in our last episode together, we dove into the discussion about race and gender and what your company does, and also like bringing up kids. And you and I have a similar background in the nannying world with over 20 years taking care of other people's babies. <laughs> and um, you are now an entrepreneur who has your own company and you teach um, other companies uh, how to. I'm losing my words already. You. Uh, <laughs> You teach about race and gender and you and creating an inclusive work environment. Inclusion. That's the word I had. Yeah. yeah. And um, we brought wanted to bring you back because I just felt like we had so much more to talk about. Um, it's so hard to cover any topic in just an hour. And so I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to bring you back and chat more about gender and um, uh the basically the LGBTQIA plus community and kind of demystify that. I know that my dad is, you know, my dad and his generation are super new um, or newer to understanding all the different pieces and parts and um, gender identity versus sexual identity uh, and all of these things. And so I would just love to, for 
this podcast and for you to be able to offer parents and grandparents um, a little more insight and a little bit more confidence in discussing these things with children as well as they're growing up. Yeah. Yeah. And I just want to start off by saying, uh, and I always try to put this disclaimer out there is that I'm a cisgender straight hetero woman having these conversations. Uh, and I know that that is not ideal in that I don't want to take away voice from the LGBTQ plus community in any way, Mm -hmm. shape, But also some of the conversations, all the conversations that I have on these topics are like the basics. I'm not going into what their experiences Mm -hmm. are or how they might feel or think or anything along those lines, because that's secondhand to me. What I am doing is saying like, you know, this is what this is and this is what this isn't. And that's clear. That's fact. Right. So I'm lying more in the facts and less in the experiences and less in, you know, how, you know, that personal lived experience of being a part of those communities. For me, it's more about like, here's the basics, here's like the foundation level so that we aren't being offensive to those communities so that we have a starting point to kind of start off our education and knowledge and, you know, just to be able to move in that space a little bit, again, more comfortably, but it's not a know-all be-all and I'm coming from a very straight cisgender perspective. So I do want to make that clear uh, and, and give all honor and respect to the LGBTQ plus folks who are doing this work, even though that mm-hmm. is experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And I, yeah, I appreciate will... that. Uh, I appreciate that. Uh, being, being from the older generation, I feel like I should probably give a disclaimer too. I'm, I'm a, I'm a pragmatist and a, uh, and, a, and just curious, you know? Mm-hmm. So when I ask questions or make statements, I'm out to, find out, figure out how does it work, what's the practice, you know, in the workplace or, you know, out in society, what's the, what's the effect? Is it healthy or not? Is the question I'm always asking myself, is this a healthy relationship or an unhealthy relationship? Is this a healthy thing to have around your kids, you know, and it's, the particulars don't interest me that much, you know, about other people's genders or incomes or, anything, you know, it's about, it's about the relationships for me. So yeah. When I stray with my language, correct me because I'm learning. And I love how you said that because two things really stood out to me. And one is the curiosity. I'm always telling people it's about having intellectual curiosity and not to make people like a project or anything, right? Like something to study, but more that there's this openness of like, I don't know. And I'm curious to find out. And when you're curious to find out about someone and who they really are, that's how we get to know people. And that's how we get to know about the world. And that's how we get to explore the world, right? Through people and their experiences. So that part was really beautiful. And then, yeah, that idea of like just being open to understanding how this affects folks and being open to being corrected, being open to learning. And even just that idea of like, is this toxic or not? Because I think, you know, and I've talked about this multiple times and, you know, off podcast, we've talked about this too, this idea of like, as soon as we want to, you know, make a point about something with kids, it's like, oh, well, this is not good for the kids. And, and that's the sticking point, right? Because as soon as you put the kids in yeah. there, then we can't we can't say anything about it. It's the kids. We're, we're protecting the kids. But I do think it's important to really dive in and say, is this toxic for kids or not? Yeah. Is yeah. this healthy for kids or not? And is that coming from our place of ignorance or discomfort? Or is that truly coming from something that is not good for children, you know? 
Exactly. Yes. Exactly. That's it's it's the value of the tribe. The value of the community <laughs> is is this okay? I have this opinion from based on my experience. How does that compare to everybody else's? May do I need to think about something? Am I crazy? Or you know, uh, is everybody pretty much on the same page? Is it is it to use a horrible word normal? You know, is it mm-hmm. is it you know, getting getting some external validation for uh, your thinking is always good. Sometimes we get trapped in our own uh, thinking, yeah. our own trauma, and mm-hmm. uh, we have to be careful about projecting that on other people. Yeah. Well, in our um, two things just came up for me when we approach humans, any mm-hmm. human being we come across with curiosity mm-hmm. and wanting to get to know them and their experience, like that is the essence of relationship without yeah. judgment, without criticism, without, without any of those pieces exactly. that come from us and our own ego. Um, just being curious and approaching people and like in their humanness, what has been your experience of the world? What do you feel? Yeah. Um, and I don't think there's anything toxic about teaching that to children. Mm. I, I think that there's nothing but love and, and kindness behind that. Mm. Um, and the second thing that popped up for me was the word normal. Um, and we talk a lot about yeah. normalizing it's things loaded, for kids. It's a loaded term. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and it can be a loaded term. And, but I think that, protecting i think a lot of times and and more and more lately there's this level of like shielding children from the real world the mm-hmm. same people who are saying who are saying gentle parenting doesn't work are the ones who are shielding their children from real life experiences um hmm. and, and realities mm-hmm. and i'm not saying like take your child to uh, like I don't know, a drag show or like where I'm not saying like put your three-year-old in a dangerous situation <laughs> that's like age appropriate. Like yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. not age appropriate. I'm saying like you there are com- there are age appropriate conversations about the like the way that the world works and the the t- kinds of humans that exist in the world and to normalize the fact that not everyone fits into this box or that box there are millions of boxes and people can pick and choose yeah. in their own flavor of life to live um and i think normalizing that for kids whenever it begins to become something they're exposed to, um, or something that's, you know, kids start talking about their body parts when they're little, little, um, you know, it's going to come up. And I, and I don't think that there's anything toxic about telling your children about the world and how it works. Yeah. And letting them ask questions, right? Because even when you say like, oh, you know, we don't take our toddlers to drag shows because they can get a little risque. But there are these things Mm -hmm. that are popping up all over the country about, you know, having drag queens read to kids in the libraries. Mm -hmm. And just the essence of having a drag queen, someone who literally dresses up, plays dress up uh, in another gender as a profession for fun because they love it. And then to children the children get to ask questions about this. And yeah. to them, that's relational because they dress up all the time. They yeah. literally play pretend all the time and they have fun yeah. with it all the time. So there's no yeah. gap here, right? Unless we put that gap in there for them. Yeah. Unless yeah. we say, oh, these people are X, Y, Z things. 
for the children, they're approaching this, that intellectual curiosity that I'm always trying to encourage from people all the time is something that children innately have because that's how they explore the world. That's mm-hmm. how they're learning about the world. They're asking questions. They're trying to figure things out. And they're the most simple, basic things that we, in turn, mm-hmm. like have a lot of baggage around, but the children don't. And so, you know, in the last podcast when I talked about there are age-appropriate ways to talk about everything, some of that is removing our baggage, right? And and answering that question exactly as that child asked it. It's not loaded, right? But we perceive it as loaded because of our baggage, because of our experience, because of all of our life lived. But they don't have all of that. So that simple, plain question, we can answer that and be like, cool, and then they'll keep it moving. Yeah. Yep. So many things are contextual. They're, you know, it's a situation, situational ethics kind of thing where uh, there's, not, there's nothing particularly inherently evil about a lot of actions. People like to shoot guns. If you're doing it at a gun range with a group, maybe if you're hunting, depending upon your ethics there, you know, uh, being in a war zone is another thing. You know, right. uh, you know children being in certain situations with the community, I, for me, it all it all kind of goes back to the community. I I have a, a a belief that when people talk about facts, usually they're talking about agreements among people. They're not talking mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. did the litmus paper turn blue or red. It's not an objective. Everybody with color vision can see this. It's right. about it's about uh, it's about it's about community again. It's about people being able to have a framework around which to mm-hmm. talk about things. Absolutely. And, you know, so when you when you catch people being, you know, this is evil just by the fact that it exists, then it's then there's obviously a lack of uh, consideration of context there. I mean, when my when I was growing up, my parents would take me down to Ralph Ralph's pub and have dinner. You know, and I remember I re- some of my early memories are being in a little onesie walking around this bar. You know, nobody was going to give me any alcohol. There were yeah. three or four other families there going down and having a hamburger, <laughs> you know, up until after dinner hour. It was a family hangout, you know, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's context. But if, you know, if I just told people, well, my parents used to take me to the bar with them, you know, that's uh, it's, Right. Not a complete representation <laughs> of the situation, you know, and you just trigger people doing that. So it's, it's sure, all yeah. about getting along and getting stuff done. And, you know, if if my particular prejudice doesn't have anything to do with the task at hand, being healthy, raising children, getting some work done, building teams, you know, then, then let's leave that outside. That's not really part of the context here. You know, let's be yeah. professional and stuff. So anyway. That's that's the old farts point of view. So I think V, I think that what could be super helpful at this point would be um, if you would offer um, my dad. My dad and I have had several off-camera conversations about definitions of different things, um, etc. And I think that since you are the expert at this point. Out of the three of us, <laughs> you, yep. you're the one with a company that teaches others, um, yep. you know, the inclusion. And so I feel like you're the, the best party here to define um, a couple of things. Uh, nope. So I uh, let's see. So I would love it if you could tell us and the audience 
um, the difference between biological gender, um, social, let's see, but is it, or biological sex, social gender, um, and sexuality. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely can do that. So Lovely. often we talk about what we're assigned at birth. And so literally a baby's born, we look at their genitalia and say, this baby is a boy or a girl, right? Mm-hmm. It's what usually happens. And that is literally what we're talking about is that's sex, right? Your, your mm-hmm. genitalia that is related to physical sex, chromosomes, that sort of thing. Biological mm-hmm. sex. Right. But when right. we talk like about plant. identity, gender identity, that has been, basically that's shaped up over time and can change. So because we, you know, when the baby's in utero, you know, there are tests that can show if it's a boy or a girl, even before we see that genitalia, again, based on those chromosomes, and we start automatically going along with that assigned gender and what we know of that gender. So if the baby's a boy, then we might dress them in blues. We might start buying Legos and like sports things because those are the things we associate with boys and then later men. And that's the way society has shaped up what that gender identity looks like. And that does have some variance across various communities, right? Like if boys can, um, like, garden or not, right? Like if that was a manly mm. thing to do. Like that, Activities to linked to right? gender. What was that, Robert? Activities linked to gender. What, right. playing so with dolls, gardening. Yes, right, about what that yeah. looks like. But there's a general consensus about boy things and girl things. And then later, right. man, mm-hmm. women things. Right. They, they go along right. this this continuum. Right. Uh, right. But that is based on what we bring in as society, what we've decided gender looks like as society. And again, over time, that's changed. So like heels, for example, right now we know that women supposedly wear heels, except for heels weren't created for women. They were created for men. Same with wigs. Yeah. Right. So we've seen over time this this gender change throughout time. And it's literally what we decide. And so yeah. if we can decide, you know, that boys do this and girls do that. We can change that decision. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah. so that's where that gender identity comes in. And that's completely and totally different to sexual identity. This idea of who I'm attracted to, who I want to be with romantically, sexually, that looks mm-hmm. completely different. It has no relation to the actual gender itself. But we attach those things because we consider heterosexuality to be the norm back to that word and that is the basis and so if is that as a society we've decided that that's the norm then boys automatically like girls and girls automatically like boys and then as they grow then women like men and men like women and we've created this narrative right but that's not in relation to how people actually live how they actually feel and how things manifest and so today we're seeing a lot and it's it's always been let me say this because before i started to this thing about like yes genders change over time but also things outside of this gender binary boy girl has also there be people outside of that binary for forever since the binaries existed forever. whatever the some binary cultures, like. some cultures have other categories for that i think exactly. there's a polynesian mm-hmm. culture where it's like okay you're not a boy you're not a girl and then there's this area that they can live in culturally you know yeah there are a lot of indigenous people that embrace what they call two-spirit uh and i'm not indigenous Mm -hmm. so i'm not gonna like go into some detailed explanation of like what two-spirit means but my very basic very very basic surface understanding is that it is not any way related to the binary that we have and it's way more Mm -hmm. complicated 
that and they had a whole different place in society mm-hmm. uh, it was revered right uh, still is um and so there's always been people outside of the binary uh mm-hmm. now more people say that they can put into words what that looks like and that they feel more comfortable in a society that is more open. We're seeing more mm-hmm. and more numbers of folks who identify as trans, meaning that mm-hmm. they don't identify what they were assigned as birth as far as gender goes, mm-hmm. um, or even non-binary, where that is sort of on the trans spectrum. They're definitely trans, like they're not what they were identified as birth, but they don't mm-hmm. identify with anything on the spectrum. They're just them. Yeah. And Mm-hmm. No gender thing that exists that they feel like really captures who they are. So they're non-binary. And mm-hmm. we're seeing more and more of that because they a, have some language terminology to put to those feelings that they're existing in. And B, we're also crafting a society that's just more open, that allows folks to be who they are. Uh, it's not easy. Uh, it's still a very radical decision in that like they still have to endure a lot of ridiculousness and hate and our society is very much so still binary but it's more open than it was in the past and mm-hmm. there are people on earth than there were in the past so yeah. we're seeing more and more of those people embrace who they really are proudly uh and just be what that looks like and not in the shadows and i think that part is really beautiful and, I, and my work is really about trying to remove some of that strife remove some of that oppression that marginalization so that more people regardless of how they identify regardless of what their lived experience is can just be including in yeah. the workplace. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's really what it comes down to. When making it safer, it's, you know, in, in mm-hmm. past years and still there's, there are safety issues for anyone who, oh, yeah. um, who is anything but um, a cis heterosexual person. Um, but it's, it's less than it has been historically. It used to literally be a crime um, to be, considered to be caught in homosexual acts, et cetera. Um, but I think still is. Yeah. 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 But yeah, I think that there's been a level of acknowledgement of an acceptance, um, and, and therefore safety for more people to say, Hey, I've been feeling this way. Hey, I've, you know, I've known in my head that this is who I am, but I have never been able to admit it until now. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, creating, creating safety specifically in your work, in the workplace where they can fully express themselves. They don't have to hide who they are outside of work, um, and to be able to live, live their whole truth, no matter where they're, no matter where they are. And not just for that to be tolerated, right? Because there are some places where it's, it's tolerated, like, well, you know, we'll allow it, but for that to Mm -hmm. be celebrated and for that to be included, because when we talk about and this is definitely more work-related, but it applies to life. But when we talk about bringing diversity of thought into the workplace, it's all about, you know, increased numbers, increased productivity, increased innovation, right? Yeah. And in order yeah. for you to get there, it can't just be tolerated. It has yeah. to be celebrated. It has to be yeah. embraced. It has to be encouraged so that we can get yeah. to that diversity of thought that really does push innovation, that really does bring in new, fresh ideas, that really does allow us to free up some of our mental brain space. And instead of putting on a mask at work, I can just commit myself fully to work and I can just be who I am. So in life, that also applies where, you know, we, we talk about like folks are going through things and maybe lashing out or maybe having a moment or maybe being slower or all these things. But if they're having to wear a mask to go through the world, if they're having to wear a mask because they don't feel safe being themselves out in public, Mm-hmm. That's a whole nother layer of work and repression of yourself in a public space mm-hmm. that requires mental space and all of that, that like other people yeah. aren't dealing with. And it's yeah. all- loss, of, 
loss of energy for society. It it's it's become clear to me that there are people the last ten years or so that there are people who are more and less comfortable with differences and change. Mm-hmm. Not to you know that uh, roughly correlating along the conservative liberal spectrum kind of thing. That seems to me to be a more about status quo familiarity. And, mm-hmm. and the safety. I am more and less comfortable with things that are different yeah. um, a lot of times. And mm-hmm. and for me in the workplace or around, it, it goes back to context. It's like, is this something I don't need to worry about someone's gender when we're trying to make software or drugs or other things. I'm worried about productivity and ability Mm -hmm. to communicate and be a Mm -hmm. valuable part of the team or the community. And, you know, it, uh, race and, you know, what, letting things that aren't material to the, uh, task at hand, whether it's building a village, protecting, you know, depending on where you're at on the planet, you know, if it's if it's not material to the task at hand, if you're keeping people from contributing to the task at hand, then the problem is not the people you're persecuting or or trying to marginalize. The problem is you trying to cut your kind of dragging the society down a Ow. little bit here. Hey, let's get some work done. You know, take that. Do that at the bar. Do that at the campfire tonight. Right here, we're trying to dig a hole, you know, or make a well, or yeah. whatever. <laughs> you know like what I mean? It's all, where it's like if you squish that intellectual curiosity, right? It's really about the baggage we bring to that, and it's yeah. similar place, right? It's not really about that person and their identity and how they live their life, because really that doesn't affect me. At yeah. If this person yeah. is not my parent, that means nothing yeah. to my life and how I live and how I operate. But my dis- I'm letting my discomfort get in the way, and I'm prioritizing my discomfort over their identity and how they live their life. Yeah. And that's really what it comes yeah. down to. Yeah. Well, another layer to that is with, and I've heard, I've heard this in a lot of spaces, um, another layer to that, because once you become a parent, it's not even about you anymore, right? It's about what is my kid being exposed to? What is the danger of any, any given situation at all, anywhere at any given moment to my child? And, you know, there are a lot of parents who, either don't understand they're not, they, they don't know enough about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's the fear of the unknown. And so I'm just they not going to expose my child to that at all. Or there are people who understand it and disagree with it for mm-hmm. any number of reasons. The one I see the most, um, typically has to do with religion and the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But there are lots of reasons that people don't agree with it. And so it's interesting, you know, everything's always on a spectrum. Yeah. Um, it's 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 interesting to me to see parents feel like the existence of of the LGBTQIA identities in the human race as a threat. Somehow to their child, with fear, yeah. You know, and I've heard, I've heard the argument 
the the worst one that I have heard um, that I feel in is just absolutely like irrelevant and unfair is sexual predators. And Mm -hmm. I, and, and Mm -hmm. I'm like sexual predator is a whole other category of its own. Like that is not have any correlation or like there has nothing to do one with one or the other. A sexual predator is a sexual predator. They can be heterosexual, homosexual. They can be, I mean, there are such sexual predators who, who literally cannot be attracted to adults. They are only attracted to children. Mm-hmm. Like they're in the, I mean, I don't know what, sh- I, I'm sure there's a name for that, but that's not hetero or homosexual. That's some other form of sexuality. Pe- and like, pedophilia. Pedophilia. Yeah. And so anyway, the, the. But that's a way pop- of, of trying to demonize these communities, right? Yeah. Because at its root, again, at its root, them just existing is fine. Using but, the difference against using the person's difference against them in a social way. I mean, that's junior high school stuff. As but also, kids that, become able to do that. We talked about like that fear of unknown, that fear of difference, and yeah. so yeah. instead of like, okay, I'm gonna learn and like not be ignorant about this. It's like no, no, no. I'm gonna, I'm gonna like make like it's gotta be bad. And so, how can we make this worse? How can we make this yeah. bad? Because again, yeah. if their existence is not bad, but if they're sexual predators and yeah. related to the children, nobody can argue with me there. Nobody yeah. can say that I'm wrong for trying to protect my child from right. sexuals who go out. Right. Right. That's well, so let me ask you this. Sorry, it's let me ask you this. There's been a lot of questioning and you know, lash back with this topic being taught or talked about in schools. So by teachers, um, et cetera, what is, what is your take on that? Cause you know, the argument is that, that this is a topic that should be only talked about by parents to their children, mm. um, not through educate, not through public education. Yeah. Well, here's the issue with that is that, School, in my opinion, is meant to shape up little citizens, right, to become, you know, active citizens in the world. And we're giving them the information that they need in order to thrive in society. Preparation. Period. That's what it is, right? We're giving them a basic foundation of how to thrive in society. Some of that is knowledge-based. Some of that is skills-based. Um, and so this idea that like, oh, we should, it's my responsibility as a parent to talk about this and not the schools. Well, here's the issue with that. And and it was the same issue and continues to be the same issue with sexual education, right? Mm-hmm. The issue with that is, is that now this becomes a societal thing that we need to address. And that's why we can't just leave it to parents because there are some mm-hmm. parents who will talk about it and who will address it. And there are some mm-hmm. parents who don't have the tools, who don't have the knowledge, who don't have the words. They're not teachers, right? Like yeah. it, not yeah. in that to talk about some of these things. So we just can't leave it in the air. Right. We like in the same way that like kids will be figuring out what's going on with their bodies hormonally as they go through puberty and need to understand what that looks like and how to interact and how to grapple with that and at least have a foundation in which to learn more about same thing with gender identity same thing with pronouns this is something that they need to decide for themselves at some point and they need to have again age appropriate but they need to have information about how to do that and at the end of the day there always will be people who for example, hit puberty earlier and maybe start being sexually active earlier. And so we can't just leave it up to the parents to decide if and when they will talk about this because, again, this becomes a public 
issue yeah. where we're not yeah. equipping little citizens to be full citizens. And it's the same with gender identity. It's the same with pronouns and anything that falls under that realm in that they will be grappling with this. They will be trying to figure out, even if they're not trans, even if they're not non-binary, what kind of girl they want to be. Are they the yeah. girl that plays sports? Are they the girl that never wears dresses? Are they the girl that loves pink and like gets their nails done? They're deciding what kind of people they want to be. And that includes gender identity. And so for schools yeah. to not equip them with anything related to that leaves them worse off than better off. Period. Yeah. yeah. And if you're a parent that feels like, yes, like this is my responsibility to teach and like I want to make sure to do that, nobody takes that away if the school does it. In fact, these kids come home saying, this is what I heard from my teacher. And you get a chance to correct that. And or you already have told your kid about this. And they yeah. already have places in which to contribute to this conversation at school. So if that's yeah. how you really feel as a parent, continue feeling that way. But that role is not taken away from you if that's what you want to do. Yeah. And there's still the uh, having been on a school board, there are avenues for that. You may be frustrated, but if, if your kids are learning something at school that you feel is inappropriate, then you can talk to the teacher, you can talk to the principal, then you can talk to the board. You know, you go up the exactly. ladder and get the pot. And if they're, and you be an activist and you get other parents like feeling and you let the school know what the prevailing uh, attitudes of the community are, the school will try generally try very hard to reflect the community that it's in. And, and that's banned books, so we see that if, that works. Yeah. Well, that's a lot of times it's one parent. It all, you know, it's an imperfect, it's a democracy and it's imperfect. And a lot of times two or three parents will try to skew mm -hmm. a, a school board one way or another. And that's an unfortunate feature of the system. But you do, as a parent, have the ability to have some influence on that. It's, as society changes, we're going to have, there's going to be growing pains as we get these things changed. You know, mm -hmm. these things don't change in a decade. Exactly. Generations, you know, it's unfortunately a, a bit of a battle. Yeah. And what I will say, too, about that is that we as caregivers, and I'm sure parents know this as well, that children, especially this day and age where, you know, children have free access to the Internet and YouTube and all and phones and computers and all sorts of things. But even before then, kids will tell each other about various things. And yeah. so of like kids won't learn it if the if the school doesn't teach it. We know that not to be true. Yeah. We know that kids are freely sharing information with each other. And so, yeah. again the parent wants to control what your child is learning, you have to take that active role in telling them what they need to know. Yeah. yeah. Because they're that's probably the That's probably the big change is it requires a parent now. It used to be when the flow of information was not so free, it was pretty easy to keep track of what your kids were exposed to. And that's just not the case anymore unless you keep them at home and away from the television and the internet. Well, anybody even then, I mean, I know before the internet was commonplace, like I've, I, you know, dated guys who would tell me like, mm -hmm. Oh, my, my best friend when I was 10 stole his dad's magazine and brought in, we would look at it together <laughs> during yeah. sleepovers, you know, like, like people have always had access to private things and kids age inappropriate like, v, information yeah and like v was saying like kids 
kids are going to share stuff with each other. Like if one kid in the friend group got access to anything, like they're all going to just swarm and be like, Oh my God, what'd you get? What do you, you know, and they're going to look at it. And, and it is the only, the only, you know, cure or solution to making sure your kid learns and is prepared for the real world when faced with those situations is that you have to be a proactive parent and discuss it with them at home and you have to do it more than once. Like the talk, like when, when people talk about like everyone gets the talk, it's like the talk is a series of many smaller talks over many years, talking Mm -hmm. to your children at different ages about the ins and outs of what sex is and what relationships are and how to find a good partner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what, yeah, like not even, not even like intercourse, but just your hormonal, like puberty, like what's going to happen inside of your body as you mm-hmm. get older and, you know, mm-hmm. your body's going to change in those things. Like if you want your child to learn those things in a specific way, you have to be the teacher. You have to educate yourself and you have to, you have to have those talks at home because they're going to get exposed to it, whether it's at school out at a concert with their friends in at the playground when they're nine years old, like they're going to run into human beings who have different experiences than your experience. And your job is to prepare them to receive information, process information and, and come out the other side, you know, in a healthy way. Yeah, I hate to yeah. put it in a in a judgy kind of way, but that's that is the challenge as as we go forward with more information and more exposure to the world, whether it's before you get out of school, like if you want to homeschool or after, you know, you have to exercise your leverage as a parent, as being that authority figure from birth, you know, while their friends tell them things, mom and dad have, theoretically have more wisdom and more influence. And uh, can can counter that, but it's time consuming. You know, it's a it's a lot of work. You got to be present there for your kids when the conversation comes up. You just can't say, "Hey, let's meet at ten o'clock on Saturday morning and talk about sex for an hour." <laughs> you know, well, it happens have, over the dinner table or whatever. You know, it's you've got to have the relationship too. If you, as a parent, let me let me just. Yeah put this in bold, big, bold letters. If you as a parent want to main, want to create and maintain influence over your children more so than their peers as they get older um, and have children who trust you and trust your family values. um, And even though they're going to, you know, stumble and make mistakes and find their own identity along the way, if you want your children to trust in you and trust in what you're teaching them, um, you know, as an overall good human being trying to do good in the world, you have to start building that trust and relationship when they are born. Yeah. Yeah. You have to, to listen when your baby says, I want the green cup over the blue cup. You have to listen to them when they come to you with the tiny, the small, tiny and seemingly insignificant things that don't matter to adults because we've outgrown all of that shit. But to them, it's the most important thing in the world in that moment. And if you don't start then 
when they're 15, they're not going to want jack shit to do with you or your opinions. Start, yeah, start with the little things. You got to show them, I think, you got to show them how what you're doing is in their best interest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's part of a part of a loving relationship is I value you as much or more here than I do myself. And so that's yeah. why I'm I'm doing this and be able to make them take the time to make them understand that uh, even if you're wrong. You know, and let them point out, uh, it's not, you know, that ain't working out the way you thought it was, Dad. And Mm -hmm. here's why. And, you you know, it's the back and forth. It's the relationship. Like you say, you got to you got to do that. And trying to start it when they're 15 or 18 or 26. And that's a tough road to hoe. Much easier to start when they're two. And another thing I want to add to this is that, like, it's it's true that there's a lot of pressure to be a parent, right? And a lot yeah. of pressure to be the yeah. perfect. And yeah. so many parents are grappling with this idea of like feeling like they're always constantly falling short. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. Hearing conversations like this, it's like, oh, it's another thing now that I have to do, and now yeah, be perfect. But what I want to say too is that it's okay when a child asks you a question of any age, a child of any age asks you a question, and you don't have the answer to say, I don't know. Let me think about that a minute. We're required to be perfect. We're required to be all-knowing, especially as parents, but in general. And so when your child comes to you and you're like, actually, I don't know. Or you know what? I don't have a lot of information about that. This is not something that I've grappled with a lot. Let me look it up and get back to you. Let's look it up together. Let's explore it together. Let's Let's look it up together. Huge. You can say. I don't know. And that's okay. You're human. You are not perfect. You are not the know-all be-all. You don't have an infinite amount of wisdom. You are not Google. You are not Bing, right? But you can go to Google and Bing together. <laughs> you know? Yes. Another way you fall short. You're not Google. You're not Bing. <laughs> well, and your kids, your kids will respect you so much more when you show them yeah. your imperfection. When you show Absolutely. them, I don't know everything. Let's go read about it together and have a discussion where you get to have opinions and thoughts and I get to have opinions and thoughts and we come around together and learn it together versus I'm the parent, you're the child. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen parents just shut down a conversation because they don't know the answer. Yeah. They're so threatened by their own lack of knowledge that and and it is it's it's scary because you're you have this human that you're now responsible for and there is there's so much pressure from sure. everywhere to be perfect um and to yeah. raise your kids right and blah 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 but the more you show your children your humanness and your imperfection and and admit it and own it and then you're like let's look at this together man that kid is going to trust you that kid is going to respect yeah. you and mm-hmm. they are going to feel like that's another mask they don't have to wear either. I can yeah. come yeah. to you, my parent, with my imperfections and my mistakes. And get the straight poop. Perfect. When they're imperfect, they yeah. don't feel afraid to come to you. That's right. Yep. Everybody on social media, all that stuff, everybody's perfect. And when they get a, an authentic response... You know, about, hey, there's something we don't know. Let's figure it out. Here's what I think, you know, having a few more years experience, but working through it and learning tremendous value. And that's going to be completely threatening to the autocratic, right? We, We had some terms. You had a grid. I need a graphic to throw up here. The authoritarian 
parent. Authoritarian. Mm. You know, you got to keep in mind progress over perfection. You know, there is nothing perfect in the world. Uh, if you're afraid of having that conversation, try it once mm. and see how it works out. And uh, if it doesn't work out the first time, try it 12 or 15 more times before you decide right. it's not your approach. One of them will one of them will take, you know, nobody if you're switching methods, nobody's going to your kids aren't going to buy it. They're just going to wonder what's up. Why? Why did you respond that way? Yeah. You know, but if you keep at it, uh, it will change your relationship to be a little more conversational. And it doesn't have to be perfectly conversational. It just just a little better next mm-hmm. week, ne- you know, next time. And there was something Jenny said earlier about paying attention to if the kid wants the the blue cup or the green cup. Uh, and I think that's really important, that idea of listening to kids and what we see as, what we see as, what should be innocuous things that we see as big things, again, because of the baggage we bring in. And I say this yeah. in to the way kids, again, they're shaping up their own gender identities as they go. Yeah. Sometimes they decide that the gender identity that they were assigned does not fit. I don't fit, yeah. And parents really grapple, like have an issue with grappling with that because two things happen. One, the image of the little boy or the little girl that they have in their head they think is gone. And they don't know how to reconcile that. They want to keep that child within that image. And there's that element of, I want to protect my kid from what could come. Like if they're picking the, if the boy is picking the pink cup, then maybe he's gay and he's going to be persecuted for being gay. And this is going to be the worst thing ever. And I just, Oh God. Yeah. Protection would be hard to overcome. You know, if you're doing it in the name of protect, you think you're protecting your kid. Yeah. That's a hard sell to get a parent to change if they think they're what they're doing is protecting their child. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what they don't realize is, is by them suppressing those things within their child, it's yeah. caused more harm than protection. Yes. Right. And, yes. and the, think that they're, you know, preparing for the world and protecting from the world. They're actually hurting themselves. They're they're being the first person that that hurts that kid themselves because they're repressing them. Yeah. So, the two big things that I want to point out about what we see early on with children, even before they hit puberty around way they want to dress or the way they want to present, could it be related to their sexual identity later? Maybe, but it could just be related to how they want to express themselves in the moment. Kids say they're dinosaurs mm-hmm. all the time and we let them have a little dino moment. <laughs> and then if they grow yeah, out of it, that's right. and if they that's don't, right. now they're obsessed with dinosaurs and become some sort of paleontologist, you know, yep. and right. we have to do yes. the same where we embrace and try to learn about as much as possible and try to let them explore the world as much as possible and figure themselves out. And sometimes that looks like a boy wearing princess dresses. And it's not necessarily because his sisters do it or he's not feeling like there's enough space to be a boy in a household, but because that's how he's exploring the world in that moment. And the same with a girl who, you know, is like, I don't want to wear pants and I don't feel like I'm a girl and all these other girls. It could be that she just wants to be a tomboy and it could be because she doesn't feel aligned in her body as a girl. But at the end of the day, we have to let that work itself out and we have to provide a safe space for our kids to figure themselves out and work it out. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times too, I think when the kids get a little older, what they're doing is they've fallen in with a group of people they like, you know, they have friends Mm -hmm. or, or a peer group or something. And so they want to go try that on for a while. Absolutely. Uh, Sometimes as a parent, you just got to sit there and go, 
Okay, Billy. Yeah, you can play with your, you know, Jennifer, share your Barbies with Billy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and just wait for them to, for it to pass. <laughs> you and know, it's not locking anything uh, in long term. Yeah, exactly. Millennials talk all the time about our email phase. I didn't have one, but uh, a lot of folks around yeah. me did. And again, <laughs> out of that and like decided to not be emo anymore. And sometimes now they embrace the dark side for the rest of their lives. Like we just have to let them figure it out. Yeah. We can, we can't, and, and I will say too that like it's really easy for us to be like, oh, it's a phase, it's a phase. You can feel that way in your heart, <laughs> but I would advise against saying to the kid, like, yeah, yeah, this is just your email phase. Like, you're Don't not be dismissive. Uh, yeah. Yes, <laughs> dismissing someone's current identity. Yeah. yeah. Let them embrace. And that includes with their gender identity. Let them play with you. Yeah. Let them embrace. If people looking at them crazy, that's them people's problem. That's not your yeah. kids. Yeah. And don't make yeah. it. That's like, right. Don't let your discomfort around what people might say or what people might think, again, limit your child and hurt your child. Because your that's child, an- not them. That's another good point is your job is to protect. If you're going to be protective uh, about your kids, it needs to be you protecting your kids, not not from not from the neighbors. You know, it's about hey, leave my kid alone. Exactly. He wanted he wanted pink hair. Leave him alone. You know, he's figuring things out. You go mad you your business and let my kid be a kid. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's yes. right. He's a kid when he's twenty seven. Also... Then we can figure it's taking. But you know, up till up till then, they're not fully formed. I had a, I had a conversation with a really close friend of mine. Um, and she, you know, I don't even remember how we got on the the topic, um, about uh, trans, the trans community and uh, what were we talking? Oh, she was, she was, I, I don't know. I don't know how we got on the topic, but she was talking about how a lot of times, um, like people get, people get so worried when they're young children, you know, three, four, five, six, seven-year-olds are wanting, and and specifically the situation where a boy wants to dress up like a girl, um, you know, and just like losing their minds or freaking out and not knowing what to do. And, oh my God, he wants to dress up in the princess dresses. And, and my friend goes, it's not, Sometimes it's the dress. I've taken care of young boys before who love the color pink and they would just, and their sister's clothes are all pink. So they want to wear their sister's clothes. If you bought him a pink boy shirt, then he would wear that. Like he wants to wear his sister's clothes because of, he doesn't have anything in that color, but he's seen something that makes him curious. He has to satisfy curiosity. Yeah. Or something someone else has that he doesn't have. Why don't I have it? I want to try that. Yeah. Like it's just normal human behavior. But the the idea that, you know, a boy and he has a sister and she has a friend over and they're playing princess dress up and he says, I want to play dress up. It could just be that he wants to play dress up, not that he wants to dress like a princess. But those are maybe princess clothes are the only dress up clothes in the house. That's, so that's what's ask him. Yeah. Do you want to dress up like a princess? Do you want to dress up like a cowboy or an astronaut or a doctor or a like at like there are so many kinds of kids dress up clothes, the, you yeah. know, and it might be that my sister plays dress up with princesses and I want to be included. So, yes, I want to go dress up like a princess with them or it could be I want to go get some dress up clothes to play with, too. Yeah. Everyone and- makes believe and plays pretend like. Yeah. 
Also, as a person who wears dresses, do you know how freeing it is to wear a dress? And men don't do that. Boys don't get to do that unless they're Scottish and they have a kilt thing. But like, I was going to say, let's say they can be naked while you know go commando while they but do it. Do you see what I mean? Like, <laughs> we were if we allowed men to do that, right? It was like, no, no, yeah. no, you can't be a man. But certainly not right. a straight. Dresses. How freeing is that? So of course this boy wants to put on this dress and like spin right. around girl in it because that looks fun. That feels freeing. That feels yeah. like fun. And it still yeah. is. You're an adult. You're just told that you're not supposed to do that. Yeah. yeah. Well, and who decided? Like what overarching governing body decided that this piece of cloth means girl and this piece of cloth means boy? Like that's all. It's just it's just cloth. Cut it's into different cultural. shapes. Yeah, I it's know, and it's, so it's, it's social, it's social acceptance, and it's it's just it's group think, it's group yeah. think and acceptance. And if you're outside the the norm, then you're you're to be feared. It's weird. It's we're we're misunderstood. Then we we're scared of That's- you. Offered our kids. We want our kids to be normal. We want them to be balanced. We want them to like not have adversity. Like just. Yeah. He's through the world. And that's unrealistic. We just know, like, no Never matter what happen. it's not a thing. It's not a thing. Yeah. We all have our everything everywhere all at once, if you will, where we have things that we're dealing with, we're sorting through, we're figuring out, and we just cannot literally protect them from everything. We cannot stop them from experiencing the things. What we can do is prepare them to make the decisions. We can teach them early on to trust themselves, right, and not mm-hmm. trust society. Because that's a big piece. Yeah. If you have a, a confident child who can make good decisions for themselves, if they can trust themselves, if they know who to listen yeah. to, and the who is me, right? Show if- them alternatives. You teach them to be coachable, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, here's here's something you're doing. I mean, if you're learning a job, on-the-job training, or learning a skill, you know, how to build a fire with a couple of sticks, that it's like, yeah, I see what you're doing there. Here, maybe try this. Be open to alternatives. Be open to another experience here. Let, you know, if you tie a string here and do this, then that works better and just it makes life easier. You know, we're not trying to we're not trying to indoctrinate you here. We're just trying to show you how things work easier, better for you, you know. Right. But if we teach kids early on, like girls don't start the fire. Only boys do. Only men can start the fire. Maybe they feel like they're they're really good at that. Maybe they have a good interest in starting the fire. And now they're suppressing. They don't trust themselves anymore because what they thought they they might be good at, what they wanted to try, girls don't do that. And she starts to not trust herself either, right? Like, Mm -hmm. there's that big element of when we start to gender certain things and what that looks like as far as individual expression, then kids very early on start not to trust what they feel or think and they defer to whatever's considered normal or whatever in their community in in their homes and their households they're deferring to external expertise and they're never trusting themselves and that even includes their parents right where they're not listening to what their parents are saying because they don't trust that either yeah conflict yeah yeah so I have a dad and I got into this is a while ago got into a really great argument about um, bathrooms. It's a very logistical argument. It was mm. not about, it was not about the, how like, many genders moral, are there? It, it was, it was about the logistics of how many bathrooms do we need yeah. and how 
economical or like, can we expect businesses to spend the money to put it to install how many bathrooms are necessary mm. to appease every identity? Um, it was not an argument about like the morality of a transgendered mm. woman using the women's bathroom or a transgender right. man using the men's bathroom. It wasn't about that. Right. Um, it was more about <laughs> it was pra- it was pragmatic. Having done a few capital was, yeah. projects, right? Uh, the people build buildings, and right now they there are two built. I'm going to say bathrooms are constructed on the basis of sex, generally mm. male and female, and then there's this there's some other category, right? Like mm. some like some of the societies. But a bathroom's an expensive piece of a building to build. And if there if we go to gender, gendered bathrooms, and there are what, sixty-two officially recognized somewhere, I think I saw somewhere, I don't know who was recognizing them. No, no contractor is going to build a a building with sixty-two bathrooms on every floor. Right? So Where's the where's the line? Where does how far does society accommodate this, or do they? Or do we? I think Jennifer's solution was everything's unisex, right? They're just individual ones. But if people are uncomfortable about going into a bathroom labeled other than their gender, individual bathrooms was my solution, not big bathrooms with multiple stalls. Okay. My my uh, is unpopular, but I think in this in general, we should have a big gender neutral bathroom with stalls, no urinals, and then maybe a handful of family bathrooms where you could like change. We have change stations and whatever, but they're all all the singular bathrooms, if you will. Right. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, I don't understand. And let me add a caveat here. Gender neutral bathroom with the family bathroom with the changing station, but European style stalls. Because I don't understand why American style stalls have the gap where you can like see in right. there. Like, right. what is that about? Yeah, like, fully well, closing, locking yeah. stalls. <laughs> so, if we have European style stalls where you go in there and you can't peek in, gender neutral stalls, period. Because yeah. when I come wash my hands like i'm fully clothed like i'm not doing anything crazy uh ministry shouldn't be taboo so if i need to come out and like get a pad and like that should be in the bathroom in even in gender neutral bathrooms this is just bodily function and then yeah we have separate bathrooms for stalls in which like maybe you want some privacy maybe you need to change the baby or do something as a family so you have those family stalls that anybody could use but they're that Boom. Everybody's catered to. And at the end of the day, get over yourself. (laughs) I really do feel that way. Like you're in a closed stall. What's the problem here? When you go out to wash your hands, everybody's washing their hands fully closed. What's the problem? I could see, I could see if this was like a non, even in the daytime, I could see Mm. the argument um, being that what if, you know, not, not all bathrooms and all buildings at all times are like filled with people where you would feel safe and like, there's lots of people around. You might be a woman who goes into one of those gender neutral bathrooms, even though it has separate stalls and it's you and another man alone in that room, technically that's separated. Um, and I mean, there's, 
to for even for me, my thought process in that is that I would leave that bathroom. I would not stay in that bathroom. I don't care who that man is. Um, I would not stay in a bathroom alone in a, in a, in an enclosed space with a strange man alone. Um, Mm -hmm. because especially if he's dressed differently or something that you're not used to out of your experience, you know, if he's dressed like a princess still, right. From, from childhood. I think that's the fear is, is he now you associate him with being a sexual predator or somehow off? It would, to me, for me, it wouldn't matter how he's dressed. If he's, if he is, if I can tell that that is a man with a penis, a biological male, <laughs> or you, think, you know, as far as I know, right. Yeah. yeah. Then I'm, I'm leaving that bathroom. Someone who is more powerful than me, that could harm me in that way, mm-hmm. I'm leaving that bathroom. Mm-hmm. Well, here's my, my answer to that is that like, that could happen. So uh, like the, the, the sign on the door that says women is not going to stop a man from going into that bathroom. Exactly. So what I'm saying is, is that in this scenario that I'm proposing where there are these gender neutral bathrooms and then you have these kind of singular, which we see them all sometimes where you have like a singular stall. Yeah. Like, the fa- Yeah. Like if, late at night and you're like, I don't know who's in that bathroom. Then you go in the single stall and you're good. But yeah. the sign itself that says woman doesn't stop a man from coming into the bathroom. And if he were to want to do something to you, like that sign is not going to stop. Oh, well that says women. Now I can't, I can't assault right. her. Especially if there's a predator, like watching for a woman going into the bathroom alone. Yeah. That sign mm-hmm. means, mm-hmm. And, and honestly, like at the end of the day, we, we look at it that way. It's like, well, there's that separation and it's, it's designed that way. And everybody's going to follow that. When we talk about criminals and sexual predators and those sort of folks, like the sign isn't going to stop them. Yeah. 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 That's the reality. I was at a waffle house just last week and they were, they had two little bathrooms and they were trying to accommodate and they had a little, you know, the little international symbol for a woman you know, a, a silhouette with a skirt and a silhouette well, of, of, of pants. And then a third one next to it, of it was, it was a skirt on one side and pants on the other, you know, it was, it okay. was a, and it just, and it made me laugh because they were, I mean, they are doing what they can to accommodate anybody, you know, but it's, but it's still biological gender based. You know, it's still, and so a person that's non-binary, technically there was not, there's not really a thing there for, well, I don't know, I guess it depends on how you interpret that third symbol. It's just, a, it's just going to be, we started off talking about historical handling of, of dress and gender and what's criminal. And, you know, it's just, we're doing it again in America. It's just, it's going to take a while. It's fun to have these discussions not being you know it doesn't affect me that much you know i i I understand the suffering of people who are figuring it out or caught in the middle for one reason for or another and how how it's so it's so pervasive it's got to be a pain in the butt navigating the world where you don't fit you know into a nice you don't have a nice little sign up with identifying you there's this one comic uh, that I'm thinking of. I want to say that the artist goes under webcomic. Uh, I will follow up and let y'all know so that way uh, you can put it in the show notes or something. But I love this one in particular yeah. around this conversation because the first uh, image is like 
a, a, a woman in a, a figure in a dress and a figure in pants. And they're, well, let me start off. Web comics, they start off with this image kind of speaking in with these two figures. And they say, you must clothe yourself at all times to protect your genitals. The next image. <laughs> okay. In one is in a dress, one is in pants. And it's like, but you also must wear clothing that signals your genitalia. Yeah, see, that's that. Uh, <laughs> that's exactly time. where it goes. Because at the end of the day, we're, we're literally like, we can't be naked because that's offensive and people can see our genitalia. Well, again, yeah. when we talk about gender clothing, it's really about signaling what? Genitalia. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. we're visual. I, I mm. remember back in, back in the day thinking everybody needed a sign tattooed on their forehead announcing mental illnesses, you know, any kind of, any way, anything that's going to affect how some you want someone to treat you when they walk up to you, well, you just need to wear a sign, you know, that advertises all that stuff. Everybody should have a sign. And that, you know, people people don't necessarily want that to, to that's not a comfortable thing for everybody, letting it all hang out. And uh, people hide things, you know, people aren't proud of things. It's It's tough judging people by appearances, but a lot of times that's all you have at first glance. It's a tough, tough problem. Problem, to be honest. Like, even if we had that sign, right, that's like, oh, you know, I'm this and that. Like, then it's up to Jenny's interpretation of what... So, for example, if I got a sign that yeah. says, I'm a cis black woman, it's up to yeah. Jenny what she feels blackness is. And she yeah. doesn't right. explore to me what my blackness is and how it manifests. That's right. That's right. So it takes away all the fun of getting to know somebody. And when we come back right. full about really having this intellectual curiosity about who people are and what their yeah. lived experience is and how they move through the world. My bipolar and your bipolar don't look the same. That's yeah. right. That's right. And mm-hmm. somebody else's blackness don't look the same. Right? My womanness and Jenny's womanness don't look the same. That's so right. approaching an individual as an individual and letting them reveal themselves as to who they are and how they operate through the world. That's what we need. Because I can put anything mm-hmm. in the sign. But getting to know me for who I really am, yeah. my fail, my, my frailties, my pluses, my minuses, my strengths, that's the fun of it. And that's how we have to approach people. Because if we only approach people what we think we know about them, that's where we get into trouble. We want to know everything snap, about snap, them based snap, upon snap. what stall they walk into as opposed to actually FaceTime getting to know people. It's like, I wonder if that's a social, if that's kind of a, you know, people are not as neighborly. People are not as uh, in person as they used to be is the root of all this. And so now we want signs. We want dress. We want to we want to know at a glance. And it's mm-hmm. like, sorry, honey, you just got to get to know people. You got to. Well, yeah, gotta... everyone just wants to be able to judge the book by its cover and move on. Yeah. They don't want to take yeah. the time to actually build a relationship with somebody. Or even just ask a few questions, have a conversation, and then decide if you're going to move forward into relationship or not, you know? Yeah. Your idea of blackness doesn't match my idea of blackness. And furthermore, you're black and I'm not, but that's not going to change my mind. And and so I'm going to go find a group of people that, you know, I mean, people people get upset about things they have no knowledge of at all, you know? And without without an actual relationship with a person that you want to continue, you know, they, they don't have to. They can just go back to their cave. I think I hmm. think 
the you said it really beautifully just a second ago and i think that that the simplest summation of this episode is to to replace judgment with curiosity just in in every way that you can no matter what situation you're approaching in life whether it's transgender issues whether it's how you to raise your kid whether it's you know what job you want to do, like whatever life is throwing at you, put aside judgment and, and replace it with curiosity. What's going on here? How can I look at this? How can I approach this? What am I missing? And just, and just ask questions instead of passing judgments based on old paradigms or old experiences or things someone told you when you were five, like just, just put it down, Mm. put it down and ask questions. Don't worry about being perfect. Just worrying about uh, accomplishing the mission, task-oriented. Am I preparing them for the world? Yeah. We should have a, it should be the relational peopling podcast instead of the (laughs) relational parenting podcast. If if kids are people, then it it already is, you know, we just change the branding. Right. (laughs) Relational peopling podcast. There's a mouthful. It was such a wonderful conversation. And I always really enjoy kind of the perspective that you both bring and the way in which conversation just shapes up. So thank you again. Yeah. Thank you. We appreciate you coming back for a second round with us. Yeah. Thanks for sharing (laughs) with us. I think think, you have a great perspective. Yeah. I've got to give you props too, because I think, I feel like these are two of the most heavily charged social issues today. Um, Mm -hmm. And so for you to be out there teaching others and changing the culture and bringing inclusivity wherever you go, and then to come on here and publicly discuss all of the things um, takes, takes balls and bravery. And um, I just really appreciate you. Yeah. Out there fighting a good fight, making the world a better place. <laughs> I'm trying. I really am. <laughs> Doing my part. <laughs> awesome. All right, everybody. Well, um, happy parenting and good luck out there. Well, did you learn anything new or have you heard all of this before? Do you agree with us? Disagree with us? Have a question? We want to see you in our inbox or via the Patreon page in the show notes. Tap on either link to send us your feedback, share your own parenting story, or support our mission of providing a connected community for all parents. And don't forget to hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you loved this episode, click on that little star and give us five of them so we can get visible to other parents who are looking for us. This is your weekly reminder. Parents, you already have everything you need inside of you. You are a strong, loving, capable parent. And here, you are never alone. I'll see you next week.